0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord Jesus, we thank you for stories and for the beauty of your story, the story of your saving us. Um, your desire to enter in, to engage, um, to redeem and rescue us, and then to restore us and bring healing and transformation to our lives. And so we ask now, Lord, that that um, glorious story would be so evident to us through other stories, but most particularly through this particular story of this particular film? Would you reveal your great love for us to us? And I ask even beyond that, even as we look into these things today, would you, even more than this, would you reveal... Your love to people who don't know you through this film, would that even be possible, that you would pave the way for them to see and recognize your love when they hear about who you are explicitly sometime? Um, So we ask all this, we ask, Lord, that you administer to us during this time, and we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to show you this is a trailer for the film Roma, um, which some of you have heard about, and I'll give you some more um, details about it, but here, let's just start with this. It is in Spanish, so you're gonna have to read the subtitles if you, unless you're fluent. These are very grainy. All of my things are like, all of my downloads are. 480p so it when you see it if you see it on Netflix on your high-definition TV it'll look much better than this I promise So, Roma is um, Roma is this film, of course, um, it's, it's named after Colonia Roma, which is the neighborhood in Mexico City where it takes place. It's set in the early 70s, 1971, 1972. Um, it's a hard movie in some ways to watch simply because it's black and white. So, if that, you're not used to that, then that will be a problem for you. It's in Spanish, so if you don't like to read subtitles, then try again um, my my husband and I whenever we watch TV or films we have to watch it with closed captioning on because sound carries in our condo and we will wake our two-year-old up if we even have it at a normal volume so we're used to reading captions so for me it didn't feel like that different to read uh, English captions under Spanish language versus English and English um, I will say um, its pacing is slower much slower than what we're used to right now these days. If you've noticed, um, I just the other day when my, my, my daughter was sick last week and I, um, I indulged, I thought I'm going to find some like 1970s Sesame street on YouTube to show to her. And we started to watch it and it was so ADD. I mean, it was so choppy. It was like, we're going to show all these flashing numbers at you for 10 seconds. Then we're going to show you something else for 30 seconds. Then we're going to go back. And I was like, we're not doing this because I do not want your attention span to get any shorter. And I think that a lot of films and television today, they've noticeably shortened our attention span just in the way things are edited. And so this, I will say it's beautiful. It's um, Quran, Alfonso Quran, the director is known for his long shots and you get a lot of long shots with a lot of detail. Um, you really feel like you're living in the story with this particular family. Um, there is just a disclaimer, and I will not spoil it for you, I won't directly tell you what happens in the movie today, but um but you will know more than you would know if you just seen the trailer. Um what I will still say is there I, I wouldn't recommend it for um certain ages, especially in fair warning, there's some full frontal male nudity which lasts for longer than it should and it's poorly chosen. Um, it's meant to be comedic, not sexual, but it's still uncomfortable. So if that is a deterrent, maybe don't watch it for, with your mother. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, the, the pacing, this slow pace, this view um, allows us to be drawn in. It's a relaxing film in a way. It allows us to get caught up in the story and the director causes us to care deeply about the characters. Alfonso Cuaron, the director, is one of my absolute favorite directors um, because he believes in a happy ending. He's an incredible artist. If you look at his filmography, he's in his fifties and he's been very successful. Um, his last big film was, his last film period that he did was five years ago. In 2013, he did, um, Gravity and he won, um, let's see, he won best director for it and best Cin- cinematography plus five other Oscars. So he's really accomplished. But he doesn't feel the need to produce something every year. He doesn't feel the need to constantly produce, which suggests to me that he's not money hungry. He's able to live off of what he's made five years ago, and he's He's not going to work again until he feels the artistic pull to be able to do that. He's a dreamer. He's a true artist. He's he's a great storyteller, both visually in the way he um, tells stories and also in the performances that he draws out of the actors he directs. Um, Some of his better-known films, I mentioned Gravity in 2013. Going back before that, Children of Men was 2006. And that was another film that was not very widely received, but it's one of my favorite films because it follows, it's a post-apocalyptic story that follows, um, a time when there are no longer any children being born. And it follows, um, basically miraculous birth and the protection of this young mother and baby from persecution, from being, um, PD James novel that was turned into Yeah, it yeah, it's really it's got a lot of Christian overtones. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Mary and baby Jesus imagery in it. That's really powerful and I believe it's intentional. So because of that film and because of this film, and actually because of gra- gravity, I suspect that this director might just be a Christian. I don't know for sure if he is or not, but I think I think he might actually be a Christian. I kind of hope he is. But the other way I think that he might be a Christian is that he believes in a happy ending. If, you, um, if you've if you seen some of his films, there's, a, there's often a happy ending that comes by surprise, even when you wouldn't expect there to be a happy ending. Somehow, miraculously, there is. Um, and even often, there's healing and restoration and transformation along the way as well. Um, more reasons why I think that um, he's probably a Christian. So let's look, um, because I like him so much, let's look at just a quick little interview with him. And he will um, he's going to tell us a little bit more about the film and why he did it. And that will hopefully help you to see why, if he's so great, well, why is this movie What makes this movie perhaps his magnum opus? Okay. Sorry, but is it too loud to hear through the door? Can you hear everything okay? Okay. In Roma, Alfonso Cuaron explores his childhood in Mexico City, where he was raised by a single mother and their selfless housekeeper. Was this meant to speak to everybody? You can only do something from the standpoint that you you believe or you have faith that you can talk to everyone. When Coron's father left, the family struggled to remain whole. He channeled his emotions into Roma. It's not necessarily a pleasant period in my life, and maybe it's a period that created fears that lasted for many years. I think the core of it is pretty universal, because at the end, the film deals with this shared experience of loneliness, but only the bonds of affection, they give meaning to to that loneliness. Poirón admits he was caught off guard when his highly personal project went mainstream. What was really surprising was the overwhelming response, emotional response, when we start showing the film around in different countries all around the world. Gave me hope that at the end we are the same. He has this um, desire to reflect upon his own childhood, um, growing up in the early 70s, um, raised by a single mother in an ho- upper middle class household in the Colonia Roma neighborhood. Um, I loved his quote. Did you hear what he said? This fil- film deals not only with the shared experience of loneliness, but with the bonds of affection that give meaning to that loneliness. So again, I'd say that this is perhaps his magnum opus as an artist, although I hope he still keeps creating, creating films. He's only in his 50s. Um, and I, I think it's a piece of artwork that, um, that he had to make as an artist. He was compelled to make it um, just as a way of reflecting on his own life and his own experience. I always find that kind of artwork to be incredibly life giving to experience uh, not always but some, but that's that's the kind you want to know about is when an artist of this caliber wants to reflect upon his own life and reflect upon what's going on. So it is almost a hundred percent autobiographical. He changes the names, but um, the, there are f- still four children, three boys and one girl. He's um, reflected. He, he was the second boy in this family of four um, during this same time period in the 70's that's depicted here. And we know what time period he's looking at because he depicts some real um, historical events also. Um, his father left, left the family and just never came back. Left on a business trip to Quebec, um, for a week and, um, never told his children goodbye. Came, came back to Mexico City a week later and just never came back to the family home. And six months later, um, the mother's still wondering where he is. He doesn't send any funds. He doesn't do anything. He just completely abandons them. Um, so the pain of that is something that, of course, lives on in Quran's mind. Um, but the whole story is not followed from his perspective or from the mother's perspective. The whole story is followed, um, is is seen through the lens of Cleo, who is the family's housekeeper, live-in maid, and nanny and Cleo is this incredible woman, and she's modeled after, um, of course, the woman that raised the director, Alfonso Cuaron. She's modeled after a woman named Liboria Rodriguez, so um, Libo instead of Cleo. Um, She raised him, and she's still part of the director's life. She was there at one of the award ceremonies um, when he won an award, and um, this character is a shy, modest woman. She's hardworking. She's loving. She's giving. Um, her love is so beautifully apparent. Yes, as she cooks, as she cleans up after the family. But we see this tenderness in some of the scenes where she's putting the children to bed and waking them from sleep. She's the one every night that puts the children to bed that says, I love you. And they say, I love you. And she's tenderly, you know, rubbing their back, trying to wake them up for school. Just the beauty of the love, um, is, Apparent all throughout. And we see moments reciprocally where the mother of the family is a little harsh to Cleo, um, taking out her own pain from her husband's abandonment on the maid. Um, but there is love, certainly, that's the final word, that's shared between the two women and even from the woman in power. Um, to the servant. And we see that beautifully at the end. That's one of the reasons why it's a good movie. So um, I'm going to show you another scene. Um, This is a scene of um, where the mother tells the children, she doesn't tell them yet that the father's not coming home at all, but she's telling them that he's not coming home for Christmas or New Year's. And at this point, she's aware that he has left her. Um, but she's longing for him to come back. And she thinks that if the children um, write letters to him, uh, telling him how much they love him and miss him, then maybe he'll come back. Um, this also segues, too, with a moment in Cleo's own life, um, not to condone her actions or her behavior, but she had a momentary boyfriend that she even didn't even seek out on her own. She's very modest, very generally upright and and yet she has found out some bad news of her own which she's going to have to share with her employer and so there's this tension and you see the tension in this scene again the visuals are much better on a different format this thing doesn't do justice to it i think that's the grandmother <laughs> Interestingly enough, there are different elements all throughout the film. You see earth, fire, wind or earth, fire, ice, and water a lot. Here's the ice scene. Aquí está mi amor, ahorita vas. Mira que tienes. Fíjate, ¿Sí? claro. Sí, no sé, no. A ver, tengo cosas que decir. Vamos a ir a Disneylandia. ¡Sí! 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 No, no, no. Navidad la vamos a pasar en casa de mi hermano Pablo. Eso, es aburrido. No, eso es un Ahí están mis primas. Claro que sí. Y para año nuevo vamos a ir a la tienda de los de la básima. Van a ir los bichos. Sí. Y los matos. Y los garzón. ¿Cuándo llega papá? Pues esa es la otra cosa que tengo que decirles. Su investigación se está retrasando y va a tener que quedar en que ver con la tienda. ¿Has tenido? Pues no sabe. Pero por eso les traje papeles, colores, sobres, para que escriban una carta cada uno. ¿Mm? Ah, ¡Escríbale, hey! ¡Escríbale que les quieren mucho, que por favor ya vuelva! Tú haz de dibujos, mi amor. Primero va por madera. Tú no vas a ningún lado hasta que ya se ha escrito la carta. ¿A dónde va? un cuarto? ¿Qué? ¿Me puedes escribir mi carta? ¡No! no sé, está bien, vea tu cuarto. Entonces yo también voy. Sofí, ve al comedor con Pepe y ayúdale a escribir su carta, ¿sí? Tengo que hablar con Cleo unas cositas. Ahorita les alcanzo. Ayúdale a escribir, te extraño mucho, papá. Sí, mamá. tú, pepe, pepe. De dibujos muy bonitos. Pepe, ¿Mm? ¿Sí? Sí. ¡Espérame, Sofí! Ah, Cleo, hace para ¿Estás bien? Sí. sí. ¿Qué tienes? ¿Querías hablar conmigo? ¿Está bien tu mamá? Sí. ¿Sí? ¿Qué pasó? Es ¿Sí? que creo que está en el comentario. ¿Cómo que crees? No estamos llegando nada. ¿Cuánto tiempo? No sé. Oh. ¿Quién es el papá? ¿Sí? ¿Y ya le dijiste? ¿Ya sabes? ¿Qué no razón. es? ¿Sí? ¿Me da a correr? ¿Correr? Claro que no. Pero ¿Cómo que le Hay que llevarte al doctor ya. Oh, there's a special bond between her and the youngest one Pepe because he's there. He, she's always playing with him and loving him so well it, again, the visuals are much better in the actual, when you actually see the film. But I just wanted you to see that just because you can see the tenderness between Cleo and the children. You sense this anticipation. You think, well, something bad's going to happen. She's going to get fired, or I almost thought they're going to try to get her to get rid of the baby or something terrible like that. But there's a genuine love for her, a genuine grace extended to her, even in her condition. Um, she's been, Rejected utterly by this man that she fell in love with, who is her only love, the only man she's ever um, even dated and um and he rejects her so painfully one of the first he rejects her three times in very painful ways each time the first time they're at a movie together, and when she tells him that she's pregnant during the movie he um he th- says that's she's like afraid and he says well it's a good thing isn't it and then um just a minute later he says I've got to go to the bathroom and she's like the film is just is about to end can you wait and he's like I gotta go now and he leaves and doesn't come back and leaves her with his jacket and she's waiting outside the theater for hours waiting for him to come back and he doesn't come back she goes out and sees him in his uh, in his own neighborhood doesn't even know where he lives but goes to find him and he threatens violence against her if she ever contacts him again. I mean, it's just, he's a violent man, he's an unhealthy man, and this is apparent from it. So um, we see her grief at the loss, at the rejection of, from this man, um, and then her reassurance here in this family that loves her, where she's able to um, not only receive love, but also give love very generously. Um, Curan, um Alfonso Curran's own, um, nanny, Lebo, came on set with his mother and brother one day, and they were shooting a later but similar scene where the mother actually tells the children that the father isn't coming back at all, and that they're getting a divorce. And, um, and Curran, the director, um, went back to the viewing room to find his beloved nanny was crying. And he was wor- he was worried that the film was bringing back too many memories of a tough time in her own life, but she was simply saying she was crying because she was reliving empathetically what it must have been like for the children. She said, "Oh, the poor children, even then, even you know fifty years later, she's remembering that and grieving that for them. So, again, she's such a beautiful character. Well, I just want to transition to looking at last week. Last week we talked about a film that was nominated, uh, that's nominated for Best Film that was a total tragedy. Um, And it was not necessarily a good tragedy because it was, I would say, it was without meaning and without purpose. We would say that the arc of a tragedy, the trajectory of a story that's tragic, goes like this. It starts out and it seems like everything's okay. Oh, excuse me, it starts out like this. seems like everything's okay, then it gets better and better and better and it's amazing and it's this mountaintop high experience and then it plummets drastically down into the toilet and it just goes it's this arc um, of up 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 and then down 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 and comedies are the opposite direction what you you would classically call a comedy whether it's um, slapstick and maybe a romantic comedy or a comedy that we think is really funny that has a certain comedic person in it, the, but or even just um, anything with a happy ending, we would call a classic comedy because a comedy, we would say, has a U-shape, so instead of it having a mountain shape, it has a U-shape, things start out okay, and then they get bad, and they get worse, and they get way worse than you think, and then they, then you're fearing that it's just going to keep going downhill, and then from there, when it seems like it couldn't get any worse, there's sort of almost like this miraculous uptick, things get better. And they get way better, and suddenly they're 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 happy again, and and you're surprised that that ending is the ending. So what I would say, um, Frederick Buechner is a wonderful literary Christian who says that the gospel is part tragedy, part comedy, and part fairy tale. Um, about preaching the gospel, he says, after the silence that is truth comes the news that it is bad before it is good. The word that is tragedy before it is comedy, because it strips us bare in order ultimately to clothe us. Tragedy is the laws revealing us for what we are in our rebellion, in our failure. And tragedy, we would say, is what we are without God's saving intervention. Tragedy is what we saw and heard about last week. The gospel would be a tragedy and a tragedy only if it ended on Good Friday. If it ended on that note, there would be no hope for us. It would simply be the saddest story that ever was. We would be without hope. Um, and it would be tragic in particular for us because we would be without hope of rescue. We'd be left to our own devices. And so when we see people that don't have the hope of rescue from God, that don't believe in God, that don't believe in Jesus Christ, that don't believe in his saving and atoning death, then we find that they're living out that kind of tragedy, um, that kind of uh, insulated uh failure, um, and, and brokenness. Well, so again, um, the gospel, we would say brings a wildly happy ending for all who believe it. Maybe that's part of our faith is trusting that God can, can save even us, that God can bring a happy ending even when we're in the midst of our darkest sufferings and our deepest and darkest trials or our um, sin that simply won't go away, those, those tr- um, habits of sin, those ingrained habits that simply seem to persist despite ourselves, despite all our effort. So again, Beaconer writes, the tragic is inevitable. The tragedy we heard about last week is inevitable in this broken, fallen, destroying and self-destroying world. That is the inevitability, is tragedy. But the comic is unforeseeable. Comedy is, um, is the way God tells the story. And, and then he would go on to talk about fairy tale as well. And I would even say fairy tale is the transformation. The trust that, um, that even though as Christians we're, not able to continue to lift ourselves out of these patterns of sin. We strive and we strive, and yet we still require, even in our sanctification, God's transformation of us. His transformation is on his timeline. One day, at the last day, we'll be fully glorified, we'll be fully like Jesus, um, even as we see him face to face. But until then, between our conversion and our glorification, we linger on, we long, we linger on in this old creation that's overlapped with the new creation in us. And so we long for that transformation. But the gospel is this fairy tale that tells us the truth that God really does um, persist in loving us. And that that love and that unconditional um, love, that grace extended to us will transform us into God's likeness, into the righteousness that we long for and that he longs for in us. So again, Rome is a classic comedy, not slapstick, but it's a story with a resolution with that U-shaped trajectory where there's restoration and there's healing even after rejection and painful loss. So if you watch it and you see some of the hard things that are in it, take hope. It's not going to be the final word. That's one of the reasons why I love it. So there are also some really amusing and funny moments in the meantime, and you saw some of that in there with the children. Um, or there are also, there's this one shtick where she's driving this big car right now. The mother is. They have this giant galaxy, 1970s galaxy, which was a status symbol if you're, If you're middle upper middle class in Mexico City, you want to show off that you can have a big car, but the irony is that they live in these townhouses, in a townhouse that was built in the 1930s, so the driveway is not big enough between the two buildings for the car to get in, and so there's this nightly ritual of trying to drive the giant galaxy into this tiny, um, driveway. And he says, Quran says that actually happened. So he wasn't trying to bring about this metaphorical thing or this big shtick. It just is how it happened. So again, the film, the film brings tears of sadness. I watched it twice through and I cried both times and I'm not a big crier. Um, but the loss really touched me deeply and the fear of more loss catch me on pins and needles um, not only Cleo's loss but also the loss of this family during this time of abandonment and yet despite all that in the end the tears turn to tears of joy tears of comedy what Beekner calls glad tears at last not sad tears tears at the hilarious unexpectedness of things rather than at their tragic expectedness in the end Cleo is happy She's at peace and hopeful. We see this in the last scene. She's secure in love of her family, even in spite of her own crippling loss and her own grief. I'm going to just pause and see if there are any questions before I keep going on. I've got one more big point to make about the film. Any other thoughts? Or, um, anyone who's seen it? Want to say, yeah? Yeah? Question? Oh, you've seen it. Nice. Awesome. Okay, Good, good. Good. I yeah, please. I know. Servant, uh, her name is Sophie. she kind of the, the figure of wisdom in the movie. No, I wish she was. The mother's not very. The, so the mother's name Sophie, and then the daughter is named Sophie, not Cleo. I know Cleo. Oh, so I know right. Cleo, Yeah, that'd be brilliant if he did that. But no, that I think. And there, the mother is not very admirable. She at least tells the truth about how she really feels about. Cleo and she's at least um, a generous enough employer to not fire her for being pregnant and then to continue to, there's a scene where the grandmother is taking Cleo to go and buy a crib, you know, they're going to buy a crib for her, they're going to make this work, they're going to make this happen, they're going to celebrate this baby and love this baby as their own family and that's a really beautiful thing um, and, um, and, yeah, 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 well, so the second time, yeah, Scott, did you want to? So, yeah, so when you watched it the second time, you had mentioned, I don't know if we still. I'm, this way. Yeah, I'm about, to say, about to say it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 We, he knows, he has intel, inside intel. <laughs> the second time, the second time I watched the film, it really hit me. I believe that the director was loved so unconditionally by his nanny, Weibo, that he made her into a Jesus figure in this film, whether he intentionally did it or not. Because he himself is a believer. It- at some in some way, I believe he's a believer in God, whether he's an explicit Christian or not, whether he explicitly believes in Jesus. Um I, I like to, I'd like to think that he is in secret, but he isn't going to be telling all of Hollywood because he doesn't he wants to continue to be able to put out work like this that points to belief in God and to the ultimate happy ending. But I do think Cleo is a Jesus figure. I'm um, not in the way that it's a one to one allegory where she's so Christ-like, that she's not really actually human also. I mean, it's not like Aslan, where she's like Jesus. Um, but it, she does things for the family unconditionally, tenderly, sacrificially, even when she's treated wrongly um, or harshly. So I mentioned she is harshly treated by the mother Sophia, um, but she doesn't flinch. Um, according to 1 Corinthians 13, um, the way love loves, she doesn't keep a record of wrongs. She doesn't hold it against them, or you don't see her chattering in the kitchen to the other maid and saying, can you believe what they just did to me, the way probably each one of us would be doing. Um, She's cruelly rejected by the man she loves, the father of her child, and it just reminds me, she's rejected again and again, and she keeps extending love to him and hoping, but she's rejected again and again, and it reminds me of... Um, Jesus' own rejection from the people, from his own people. Um, John tells us in John 1 that Jesus, that the Word, the Word came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And Jesus himself uh, prophesies about his rejection. Uh, three times at least before they actually enter into Jerusalem. So in Mark 8:31 we hear that Jesus begins to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Well, we hear that rejection again and again, rejection of Cleo. We also see her love... It is sacrificially present. And it's most tangible in the climactic scene, which I won't describe in any detail. Um, But there's definite love in that climactic scene. And one um, one of the refrains that you hear coming out of it is, Cleo, save me. Cleo, save me. Cleo, save me. It's like, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus saved me. Jesus saves. I mean, I just perceive... I mean, not that she's Jesus or anything like that, but I do think that that um, unconditional love that she, she, that the real Cleo offered to the director caused him to be transformed, caused him to believe in the possibility of transformative love, to believe that there is an unconditional love with a capital U and a capital L that's out there. Um, He also possibly hints at her being a Christ figure visually. At one moment, there are three crosses. um, Right after, there's a troubling scene where she's in the hospital getting her first checkup, and there's an earthquake. And um, when the earthquake happens, there are, um, she's watching the babies in the nursery. And it's sort of this, um, dreadful foreshadowing, and yet after that, um, the Quran focuses in on three crosses in the countryside, um, as the family begins a road trip. There's another moment where there's this crazy, um, fitness guru that her, um, that the man she loves is obsessed with, and he is training all of these men in martial arts. Um, but it's like 1970s version. It's really awesome. He's like wearing full body spandex and he is like shown on TV trying to pull a car with his teeth through a chain. Like he's got a chain in his mouth and he pulls a car along. I mean, it's like macho, macho man. Really, um, probably very popular in Mexico, especially where there's a lot of machismo So, Anyway, this name is, this guy's name is Zadek and he appears, he's sort of a very peripheral character that appears, On TV and then in this one scene and so they're in this big field and um, he's saying welcome to each of the men and may the energy dwell in you which is again a little Star Wars but he talks about training up the mind and the spirit and then the body and he says he's going to do a special act that only martial arts masters have been able to accomplish and so he has them blindfold him and then he raises his hands over his head and he stands on one leg in this like yoga pose type thing and Quran has all of the martial arts students, dozens upon dozens of students in these lines and these ranks, um, and then uh, like a handful of women and grandparents and children watching on the sidelines, and, including Cleo, who's waiting to talk to Fermin, her, her, the father of her child. And everyone's trying to do it, and they're all falling everywhere, and Quran just zeroes in on Cleo, and she's just calmly herself standing there, in the pose, not wavering at all, just like, huh, just thinking, just showing that the still waters run deep. Underneath that beautiful exterior, there's a peace, there's a calm, there's a a, a resiliency, Um, there's a certain kind of foundation that she has um, that's admirable. And so you're sort of hinting at her, he's hinting at her possibly having more spiritually than the people around her. One last thing that I do think points um, maybe possibly to her being a Christ figure, but really to um, the supernatural is that um, visually throughout the whole film, he has planes appearing because his own and he did it just because his own family, his own home, was right near the airport pathway um, in Mexico City in the 1970s, just as commercial flights were beginning to become um, popular and taking off, literally. So, you see planes in the sky all the time, but it starts out, um, the first time you see a plane in the sky is in the very o- the opening sequence, but you see it reflected in the water on the ground while she's cleaning the driveway. Um, the water gets washed down the drain, and in the reflection of the sky and the water, you see an airplane going past. And so there's this hope of something more beyond this life that she's living. There's this hope of something bigger than her, I think. And in the end, even as the end, the last sequence happens, you see a plane go by right there in the sky. And even throughout that whole training sequence, there were multiple planes that you saw behind this um, guru showman. Um, So again, even though I would say that Cleo is probably a Christ figure, she's also beautifully human and broken. She's not an Aslan figure, it's not allegory, um, but it's more metaphorical, it's more um, impressionistic because she's also very broken. She's very human. Um, She's unable to get over her own loss because her grief is also colored by guilt and shame. I've found this to be true for people grieving um, throughout, whenever we lose someone, whenever we are grieving over the loss of a parent um, or a spouse or a loved one, it's actually it's the more complicated griefs that are the harder to, to um, move on from, to bring healing from it, because whenever there's guilt or shame or things that have been unsaid, um, those things are the things that linger on with us as well as with the sadness of simply having lost someone and so I found this often when I'm counseling people or with families before um, as they know someone is lying there um, towards the end of their life I just encourage them to say the things they need to say, um, even if someone is uh, sedated, to say the things that they need to say because um, the grief will be, um, they'll be able to process the grief more if they're able to say what they say. And that's really what happens in the end. Um, her grief is something she's able to process through the climax of the film. The stress of the climactic moment reveals her emotions to her in the safe context of this family where she's loved. Where she's affirmed. She receives a kind of forgiveness here, even an assurance that these children, the children, the four children of this family are just as much hers as the one that she has carried in her belly. So you see this loving community, a real bond, um, forgiveness, and a web of relationships that restore, even in the inequalities socioeconomically, in the different statuses that are present there, you see this new kind of family of love taking place. And um, that's what Jesus describes us. As, as we are the church, we are his body. Um, he, we are his His brothers, his sisters. Um, we are his new family. Um, we are new family for ourselves. Um, the bonds between each one of us are meant to be stronger than the bonds even that we would have with the members of our biological family. Um, and we see this in Ephesians 2. Um, interesting that Craig mentioned Ephesians 2 in his turn. Just to close, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul talks about our oneness in Christ. So I'm going to read some and skip over some and read some more. This is from chapter 2, verse 11. Remember, therefore, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ there is that um, breaking down of differences, the differences that could have existed and that do still exist in some ways between Cleo and her family, and yet they're broken down through um, this unconditional love that's shared back and forth by them. Um, and that's really what we have, that the the bonds, the things culturally, the things that we would expect that would normally keep us apart from each other, in Christ they've been broken down. And that love um, that he's shared with us is a love that we all, that spills over and is meant to spill over in our relationships of love, grace, forgiveness, assurance, and transformation um, with each other. And so um, one final word that I would say is that um, in another interview, um, Alfonso Cuaron, the director, says that this movie is about his wounds. It's about wounds his wounds and other people's wounds, but it's beautiful. He doesn't leave it there. It's about wounds and, but also about healing and the hope of healing. Um, so with that in mind, let's, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that, um, you do not leave us, uh, in a story that's a tragedy, but rather you are the one that, uh, scoops us up at the bottom of our suffering at the very lowest points even and that you forgive us our sins and you bring us the hope of eternity you tell us of your great love for us you tell us that even though we've experienced incredible losses incredible amounts of brokenness far darker than we ever thought we would see or experience even so lord we know that you are um, the light that you've brought light through sending your own son. And we thank you, Lord, for um, Jesus' death on our behalf, for that low moment that could have been the lowest moment of human history. And yet we thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty over it all, that you um, not only deigned that he should come and die, but that he would rise again, and that we would have the hope of eternity, the hope of healing and transformation in this life, and the hope of eternity spent in your loving embrace. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would... Fill us to the full with the overflowing with your great love for us. And then that you would allow that love, that grace, to spill out in our relationships. That our relationships would point to you and your love. And that even that our relationships would be healing relationships that bring transformation. And so we ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.